Welcome back to another episode of Cameras and Caffeine, the podcast where we talk everything photo, video, and espresso. This show is dedicated to helping you grow your creative passion into an income-generating side hustle. Whether you're interested in photo, video, graphic design, or really any form of art in between, this show will feature a variety of guests from many walks of life to help you grow your creative passion. So grab yourself a cup of coffee, or hot tea if that's your thing, and settle in, because you're listening to Cameras and Caffeine. Welcome to the first episode of Cameras and Caffeine, the podcast where I show you how to make your passion into an income-generating side hustle. Today, I'm here with Blake McLean. Blake is an outdoor sports videographer and photographer. Um, Blake has been doing this for, you've been doing this for how long, man? A little under a year. So, what exactly, why do you do what you do? So, um, and I actually started, I'm, I'm a collegiate fisherman, and um, we're student-led here at the University of North Alabama in terms of the team uh, we've got officers and nobody wanted to do the social media aspect of the team and in past years it had been quite lackluster of the job that some of them had done and um, my mom's a photographer and I kind of just took up the mantle and started running at it YouTube a lot of the information Um, Peter McKinnon is one of the guys I watch a good bit of potato jets another one and I just I ran with it I really did Um, I picked up your uh, G85 uh, as soon as I got elected uh, social media director for the team and um, haven't really looked back since. Just been traveling with the team on tournaments that I'm not fishing because I had to take some time away for school and then my uh, full-time job. And um, with it, I mean, it's taken me places that I didn't think I would go as quickly as I have. I'm upgrading equipment and getting wedding jobs now. Um, I'm getting uh, photography shoots, um, portrait-style shoots um, for uh, business. I just did um, Shoals Overhead Door, uh, did all of their website work. Um, so, I mean, it's it's really taken off, and it's quite the journey. Um um, like you said, I'm, I'm quite shocked that it's taken off as much as it has in under a year, and it just hit me the other day, but um, uh, you've been a massive help, and um, I so I, I appreciate that, and appreciate you having me on, on today's episode, and the debut episode. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. This is a um, thought, it's kind of like a brainchild of something I've wanted to do for the past two or three years. Um, I've just never gotten out and done it, and so finally, you know, with being on the tail end of college, it's it's great to kind of realize this pipe dream, um, which is not really a pipe dream. We're sitting here in a studio with an Aperture 300D and a <laughs> Roadcaster. Yep. Oh, Who how does thought? that happen? Like, literally, you started in a year, and this podcast, like, went from nothing to something in a couple days. Yep. So it just goes to show, though, like, you know, if you really want to do something, then pursue it. Um, but kind of going off of what you were talking about with that, um, how did you get started with... Um, video and photo like beforehand was it this your start with it or did you have any experience before um growing up as a as a avid fisherman um youtube has been a huge part in the bass fishing industry um a lot of private youtubers have made a killing um you know with their living just with simple gopros and so really the only experience i had before just about a year ago now was with a gopro and that was it I mean, just strapping it to my head, strapping it to my chest, going out fishing. Um, I mean, there's not much to it. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, point and shoot, no editing um, besides cutting here and there. And um, No, I've, I've really just taken off and, and had to learn on the fly and made some mistakes. Um, but I think uh, I'm on the right track now um, in terms of that. And still have a GoPro. You can't beat a GoPro, though. <laughs> so what do you do day-to-day with video? Day-to-day, so I work full-time still. Um, still got the, the 7 to 5, 7 to 4 p.m., depending on the day. 
Um, when I get back, though, I work on, on the video shoots that I did the weekend before. Um, just like uh, this week, I, I'm working on the uh, Alabama Bass Trail video. We've got a promotional video that we do at the end of every uh, event. And this was for Logan Martin. And um, it's going to be about a minute and a half, two minutes. And it's just a, a really, you know, slick, compact, um, edited video just to kind of show off, like, um, just just the, the, the style of, of, of fishing and, and competition that, that takes place in the Alabama Bass Trail. Um, and then on top of that, uh, at the end of every month, I, I have a part in videoing what's going to be aired on TV on ESPN2. Um, so that that's um, kind of in the works still. It doesn't get aired until, like, usually three to four months after every event because it takes so long to get a 45-minute segment. Um, but, I mean, it's it's I usually always have a more work than I can get done before the next event. That's crazy. So Alabama Bass Fishing? Alabama Bass Trail. How did you land that? So it was actually a Facebook ad. Um, somebody, the, Chris Brown, he's the, uh, the owner of uh, English Channel, which is the media outlet that was created to contract with ABT um, to do live stream. That was their main goal. They used to just run it off of iPads and a pole on a camera, or, or on a boat, excuse me. And they were looking for generally college age people who were passionate about bass fishing to hold it, just really hold a live stream camera up for about six hours a day. And several of my teammates who have been, you know, with me as I'm working with them on our, um, on our uh, fishing teams, like media profiles, Instagram and YouTube, working on those projects, they, they sent it to me. Um, and I shot them an email and I said, Hey, you know, here's some of my work. Uh, I sent them a link to the team's TikTok. And, um, from there, Chris immediately called me. I'm like, we're talking five minutes later. And he says, Hey, I just watched all your stuff. Would love to like sit down and talk to you about what we're trying to get done. Um, I don't think you're really what we were looking for, but you're better. He goes, you understand bass fishing and you seem to understand the story that goes along with it um, in terms of like the, the, the video, the, the stylistic sense, because there's a lot of different outlets. You've got Bassmaster, you've got Major League Fishing, you've got FLW that just recently went away, but all of these trails have amateur to completely professional 100% live off of the earnings and all of them have their own YouTubes. Um, they all have their, their cinematic productions, really. Um, and I grew up watching those, and so I think through that, uh, that was where I kind of just immediately clicked with ABT on, on what they wanted. And, um, you know, it, it's going great. Well, I mean, they, they're hiring me for more and more as, as time goes on, and we're getting creative with it. We're, we're throwing the FPV drones at them, GoPro footages on trailers, you know, dipping in and out of the water, launching and taking out boats. I mean, we're... We're really exploding. They, they're growing with me as I'm growing with them, and it, it is quite the experience. That's awesome. And all this came from a Facebook ad. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing, like, taking um, – oh, my mic's not on. That's awesome. So, like, all this came from a Facebook ad, too. I mean, that's what's just crazy about it. Um, it really just kind of shows that, like, if you're looking for opportunities, if you look everywhere and just take every chance you've got, I mean, this all came from just scrolling. Mm-hmm. If you could describe to someone who has – just has no idea what you do or like what your niche is what would you tell them about what you do with video within the world of video so really what what i what i focus on is we're taking like a four to five day event and we have to show a little bit of backstory on some of the anglers that are out there because i mean we just got done with our last event and there were stories about overcoming cancer 
I mean, there's a lot of, of subplots going on just, I mean, in a bass fishing tournament. Go figure. You know, you wouldn't think that. And what I do is I recognize those. And I feel I fill those subplots in so that it, it tells a story. It, it humanizes every uh, competitor, and you can really watch, you know, their, their development in that event during practice, during the actual event, you know, like the struggles, the highs, the lows. Um, music is a big thing in the production, too. I mean, there's not a lot of emotion displayed necessarily because, I mean, when we're filming, we're 100 feet or more away from our subject. You know, we're on a separate boat. We're zoomed in on a telephoto lens. You know, we're, we're way out there. And with that, you got to have to be a little stylistic to get the point across. I mean, I, I say all that to just basically put in one big picture. It's telling an emotional story of these people who are trying to make it professionally in the bass fishing world. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And then now, as time goes on, it's more and more. It's, it's this trail wants this and this trail, you know, they've got all these different levels of, of tournament trails from, like I said, amateur to pro. They all have their own, own styles. They all have their own stories. Um, when you get into the pros, they're definitely more centered on one person because there's, there's not, um, like in this ABT series, there's not 250 boats. That's 500 people. There's two people per boat. When you get into the pros, there's one person a boat, and there's no more than 100 boats. So it's a lot less people. They're a lot more centric. And you have your you have your staple people that have been around in the industry for 20, 30 years. So um, they, every different trail has their own stylistic sense. And meeting those needs is, is a challenge. But you definitely, um, I, I've definitely learned, I think, what the goals are for each of them. And, um, but at the end of the day, it's no matter what kind of video you're doing, it's telling a story. So, like, just talking to anybody who's wanting to do what you do, how easy is it to jump in, and is it worth getting into? I think that's a very good question. In fact, it's, it's something that I thought about as soon as I saw this opportunity arise. It's exploding. The industry for any kind of content creator in the bass fishing world is exploding. And it sounds weird, but you have pros that, that make a lot of money at the top end. You have the Bassmaster Elites. They are the first-round draft pick, you know, uh, NFL all-stars. And they are starting to hire their personal videographers to travel with them year-round. And they're just making YouTube series. A perfect example of this is, is an angler named Brandon Polinick. He is a well-recognized bass fisherman, and he has a extremely gifted, and I say that in not even close to, to the true reality of um, what his, his videographer does. His name is Kyle Vandifer. I had the chance to go out on a boat with them when they came here to North Alabama to do a Pickwick event, and I got to really learn from from Kyle a little bit about what he does, but we're talking Netflix quality. I mean, killer stuff. and um, On the water, too. Oh, on the water, in the rain, high winds, freezing cold, and they it's amazing what you can get out there on the water. But I say all this, that if you think you'd like to do it, get into it now. Because the industry is just getting bigger. Bass fishing in a whole is exploding. I mean, we're seeing record numbers. Every classic for the expos that we have. Last year, there was 198,000 people in one day that attended uh, the expo. Wow. 198? 198,000 in one day. Wow. That's what's insane about it, too, is just with video right now. um, I've talked to a lot of people, and I've worked in doing video and photo. Um, I've done video, and that's what's insane about video and photo right now, too. (laughs) 
I have been doing this for about five to six years, and it has only been growing in that time. Um, it's been just nonstop. Like, you're able to make a living as a full-time contractor. I know several people who support families doing this now, and I know a couple people who make 200000 to, like, mm-hmm. 400000 a year doing oh, it. And it's insane, like, just seeing that growth potential in video right now. And, like, with that translating to almost every industry, it's sort of permeating every sort of niche you can think of. And to see that it's, like, reached bass fishing, mm-hmm. the power to, like, tell a good story like that really helps people to, like, find interest in a topic they wouldn't have considered otherwise or they just haven't ever looked into. Mm-hmm. So uh, now on to the question that half of the people are probably watching this for. What gear do you use? <laughs> Well, I'm kind of biased because of of what most people in my position are starting to use nowadays, and it's mainly for the autofocus because there is a lot of movement going around, I mean, during these shoots. I don't know. For those of you who haven't been on a bass boat any given day, they're not very stable at all. They like to rock back and forth, up and down, side to side the whole time. So you get into these conditions out here like on Pickwick, which is on the Tennessee River, You've got current, you've got waves, and you've got wind. And then on top of that, you're a whole telephoto's length away, you know, zooming in on them, using that 70 to 200 with a teleconverter and on it. And um, you got to get out there a little way sometimes because in fishing, sometimes you, you need to have space around you to, in order to compete. But all that being said, bomb drop, Sony. Sony has been, uh, I went from uh, a G85, um, with Panasonic, and it was a good camera. I mean, they've they've got a lot of features built in, especially to that model, being as um, budget friendly as it was. But it it didn't hit a couple of the key points I needed it to, and that was that was definitely autofocus for one, because there's a lot of other variables going around um, other than than worrying about to manual focus on it. Um, and then the second one was low light. That micro four thirds setup was. I mean, we're out there at 3 a.m. That's when we start shooting definitely have to have a little bit lower light um, and I'm tried the Sigma lenses that 1.4 fast aperture and it helped but you know you're, you're at a two times crop factor you can only do so much yeah and that's where like it's really interesting seeing how micro four thirds has sort of struggled lately it's got its diehard fans but at the end of the day the industry is trending upward towards larger sensors mm-hmm. um, and I mean arguably I know that like even especially if you get something like a 25 millimeter or if you account for that crop, you're able to get a similar effect to full frame. Mm-hmm. But the simple truth is, at the end of the day, th- it's it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to reach the full frame equivalent of 51.4 fully with something like a Panasonic. And that's what's just kind of like tricky about it all at the end of the day. And of course, the big one you mentioned, autofocus. Um, I actually, so I sold him the G85 um, that I had, and that was a great camera. I used it for two years. I traveled around with it too. Um, but I moved up to a GH5S, and so I stuck with Panasonic for a while. Loved that camera to death, but same problem. Autofocus was just so bad, I couldn't rely on it for events. It got to the point where I was doing live event coverage, and I just manual focused the whole time. And that's, I mean, um, there's definitely an argument to be made for focus pulling. But just in today's fast-paced nature of event coverage and, you know, what they call run and gun, mm-hmm. it's very hard to account for that. Sometimes when you have something so good like dual pixel autofocus with Canon or Sony's upgraded autofocus they've got with the uh, A7S III, A6600, A7 IV, um, at that point it's just it's hard for micro four-thirds to compete. Um, contrast-based autofocus, you know, whether you're a diehard fan or not, is on the way out the door. 
Um, and it's not quite, you know, you've heard, I'm sure you've heard of these cinema cameras where you do have to rack focus full time. That makes a lot of sense. But in the hybrid form factor that the Panasonic cameras are in, it's not a cinema camera. It's just not. And people, the GH6 is impressive. It's got some legitimately cinema camera-like features. To the, the 5.7K with all of their different picture profiles? Yeah. I mean, they've got a strong argument. They do. I think the GH6 is a different use case, too, mm-hmm. with it. Um, I don't want to dog the GH6 in saying this, too, because I think it's a good camera. I just think that it's like every camera has a different use case for other people. I use Canon, you use Sony, and it's not that one's superior to the other. It's that one's superior for certain use cases or one makes more sense for use cases or you just have a preference. And at the end of the day, like all of those can be true at the same time. And that's kind of the thing with Panasonic, though, in general, is contrast-based autofocus. You can treat the GH6 like a cinema camera and you'll probably get great use out of it. But if you need a run-and-gun setup, you just can't rely on contrast-based autofocus. It's so difficult. I do know a guy in Huntsville who I shot a wedding with who focused full-time manually on his Blackmagic at a wedding. That was impressive. And know, he, how, how is the Blackmagic autofocus? Oh, it, it doesn't exist. It's like one-point autofocus, and then it's mostly just manual focus the whole time. That's insane. Um, but it's the Blackmagic is much more of a cinema camera form factor, so it's kind of a different use case. Um you don't run and gun with a black magic per se. You can, but if you run and gun with a black magic, it's a different form factor than running and gunning with like a Canon R5 or a Sony A7S III. Um, so yeah, he literally, he nailed focus full time manually at a wedding, like moving the whole time. And that's the only time I've ever seen somebody do it that good in that specific use case too. That's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I know I, mean, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't. Um, And that's the thing, too. Like, it's okay to recognize that there are certain strengths and weaknesses to each camera and, like, use case for cameras. Because at the end of the day, like, there's never going to be a perfect camera. No, you got to find what's going to work for you. Yeah. You have key points. No camera is going to hit all of them. You got to find the one that hits your top, I'd say, five. That was kind of how I was basing the selection from the J85 to whatever I was going to end up. And um, huge shout-out to companies like uh, Lens Rental. in today's age, when you order everything, it sucks not being able to walk into a store and actually f- touch it and, and kind of get a feel for it and use it. I, I mean, I would recommend to anybody, you know, no matter what kind of renting agency it is, rent cameras you're looking at buying for just two days. And, it, you know, if, if you pay $100 to get it there for two days and to ship it back with insurance for, you know, an A7 III or a Canon R5 with just a kit lens or maybe a lens you're looking at getting, it's worth it. You get to actually use it how you would use it if you bought it and you know if it's going to work or not. That's what I did with the 6600 I shoot on now. Using that crop factor to my advantage, I don't have to have a huge 70 to 200 with a teleconverter. I can just use, um, like, for instance, I'm looking at getting that new uh, Tamron 70 to 180. And with the crop factor... That thing's insane. Yeah. With the crop factor, (laughs) it's almost a 400 millimeter equivalent at at the long end of it. It's an F2, isn't it, too? F2.8. 2.8. I believe right now it's just over the $1,000 mark, I want to say, but I'm kind of waiting. I know that, you know, there's usually a springish sale, like on mm-hmm. um, B&H, um, and I'm waiting to see if that goes on sale. And that's uh, new, too, right? Yeah, Tamron has been out. If you're a Sony user, look into Tamron's lines of lenses. They have been nailing some very, very interesting ones. Um, the 35 to 150, that's a, a F2 to 2.8. Um, 
that's I mean that's a great lens. Um, it's full frame. Um, the only th- thing to say against it was that it doesn't have any kind of image stabilization. Um, but Tamron has been nailing some solid solid lenses. Um, sharp. The chromatic aberration is pretty pretty controlled. Um, I mean I can't say enough. And of course a two point eight aperture never hurt nobody. So on to another question that a lot of people are probably here for. Um, would you say it is possible to make a living doing what you do full-time or make a substantial side income if you don't want to leave your 9-to-5? I think you definitely could make full-time doing what I'm doing because I know a lot of people that do. Um, I've met them. I'm talking to them, you know, getting their, their feedback on what I'm kind of working on, like how I'm doing it. And I will tell you what, there is there's something to be said about the, the outdoor community, um, an outdoor sports, you know, community. But bass fishing is the most welcoming and wide open community when it comes to any kind of, of feedback or criticism or, or um, tips. Or I mean, I mean they're, they're just an open book. I mean, they will give you the shirt off of their back even when it's raining. I mean, they're the greatest people I've ever met. Um, you definitely can. I think it's it's wise to get the side income first before jumping into it. Because um, I will say, a lot of people can can get away with a little bit more budget friendly gear um, to make it full time in this industry. There is a lot of competition when it comes to the quality. Um, there's a lot of bigger names, um, you know, private contracting photographer and videographers that have been doing it since the early 2000s because they saw it way before anybody else did and they hopped on. And um, they're they're extremely talented. And they, they've got the gear already built up. So that's the hardest thing. I think getting a good, solid budget setup and then expanding on that with your creativity. Creativity. Messed up on that one. Um but using your creativity, uh, you, you, you learn how to take your normal, I mean, you don't even have to shoot 4K or, or 5.7 now and stuff like that. If you're shooting 1080p, just learn how to edit it really good. Color grading, shoot a decent picture profile. Um, stabilization, I'll say too, if you're going to shoot on a boat, monopod, monopod, monopod. Got to have it. But, I mean, just, just nail down the basics and, and expand from there. Um, you definitely have to learn how to edit quick to, to stay in the game. So what do you use for editing? So I recently upgraded to the MacBook Pro M1 with a new silicon chip that um, Apple decided to come out with. And because of that, Premiere Pro wasn't exactly programmed to run as smooth as it does on Intel chips. Um, but Final Cut Pro and then all of its um, other uh, softwares that run with it, kind of like, a, what is it, um, Motion and uh, Compressor and other things like that, um, they're optimized and they run smoothly. I mean, I have an 8 gigabyte uh, RAM setup and I am i don't have any kind of um, frame lag when I'm scrolling through the timeline. It handles it, that, that unified memory, all the unified parts with the new M1 silicon style is, it's incredible. And you have, you're a little familiar with, with the M1. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I actually am recording this right now. I'm producing it with a M1 Pro 14-inch MacBook Pro. This thing has been the best investment I've ever made. I've had a 
Um, most of 2021, I kind of really grew my video and photo business with a 16-inch MacBook Pro with a Core i9. That thing was a workhorse. It got everything done, but it still had its hiccups. There were times where even with that Core i9, the 16 gigs of RAM, it would trip up on the timeline in Premiere. And it was infuriating at certain times when you had like larger projects and projects and you can't get your Core i9 MacBook Pro to like go through it. And it overheated a lot. Like it didn't shut itself off, but like it just got hot to the point where I could tell it was throttling. And that's what was frustrating with it too. It underclocked itself. But um, battery life was an amazing 45 minutes too. So oh, the battery with the M1 systems? Oh, it's insane. It, it lasts all day. Yeah. I, I, I have a little laptop riser at work. I've already got... Two screens right there on my desk, and I just keep that up there to do a little bit of social media marketing stuff aside from my salesman uh, duties. Yeah. And um, it, it stays open for eight, nine hours, and it maybe hits like 30% by the time I'm done, and it's never plugged in. I forget to charge mine. Yeah. it's. <laughs> I'll it's, edit video and photo on it while I'm at like a coffee shop. I'm working on something for my YouTube channel for Clipplay TV, and I'll finish an entire video in one ba- one charge. Yeah. And I still have some leftover to spare. Apple's Apple's killing it. Um, they're really looking out for, for the content creators right now. Yeah. Um, personally, I'm looking at getting, a, a, you and I spoke the other day about it, a, a desktop setup so I don't have to be so reliant on a laptop. And um, fingers crossed that they finally release a M1 Mac Mini with the M1 Pro and M1 Max option. Because um, I know that they've those two desktops for the price have been killing them. Um, like you said, they've, they've they're optimized for great performance and um but you can't beat the pros and the maxes oh it's crazy i've got the 10 core um, my config specifically is the 10 core m1 pro um it's the fully upgraded m1 pro right below the max and i kind of it was a sweet spot for me in terms of performance but also battery life because the m1 max is really beefy but it's also beefy on power consumption um that's kind of like the drawback you get with it too um but if you're in a desktop like what you're talking about with a mac mini you don't worry about that. You go for whatever you want. You maybe max it out, no pun intended, with an M1 Max, and then you're set at that point, too. And well, cost would definitely be down. There's there's no battery to worry about, no speakers to worry about, and no, no freaking XTR display. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's insane. Um, just seeing the value that Apple's providing with their M1 chips and their upcoming M2 chips are going to be pretty dang good from I've, I've heard a little bit of a little bit of chatter out there on on the the big wide web about that on I'm, the uh, interwebs right? yeah yeah whatever the kids call it nowadays yeah whatever president bush said the google <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything that you would want to add to anyone looking to do what you do you know there's, there's not a whole lot to it the one thing i'll, I'll leave uh, i'll leave you with is just get out and create i mean no matter what you sh- you're shooting don't be held back by what you can afford You've got a decent camera on any of the smartphones nowadays. It's all about the story. If you can get good with the story, you can get clients, you can get side work, then you can upgrade along the way. Um, but definitely, now's the time to get into it. It's exploding. Every professional is looking to have their own story put out there and produced, and they want younger people that, that have the mentality of traveling with them and not being high-maintenance or slow. Like They want fast-paced and... They want to be able to go and go and go and go. And on top of that, you can pick up client work through their sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the younger generation, if, if you're interested, look into it now. Start paying attention and, and start creating. So just get out and do it. Yeah. There's nothing holding you back. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's awesome. Um, well, if you want to check out Blake McLean's work, you can follow him at... 
Uh, you can go to Instagram and search RFF Photography. Um, I also have a personal account, and that's uh, Blake underscore McLean. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, and that's, again, RFF Photography. Awesome. And then uh, my website is rffphotography.squarespace.com. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a five-star rating below as it really helps me to reach new people that might find it helpful. And if you want to hear more from me, definitely consider hitting that subscribe button and download button next to it so you can always be in the know when I upload new episodes. And as always, see you in the next one. This production was presented by Clipplay TV.